Welcome to the Region by All Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Dean Felix Tricot, a certified integrative health practitioner, level one and two, certified in blood chemistry and functional lab testing. I love helping people with GI issues, weight loss, mold exposure, heavy metals, misters problems, and health optimization. I love helping people get to the root cause of their health struggles and simplify healing. Ready to transform your health? Go to regionbiome.com and click book a call. All the support is greatly appreciated. If you enjoy, please write a five-star review on iTunes or the platform of your choice. Enjoy the podcast and please share this with anyone that this would help. Welcome to episode 11 of the Region Bound Podcast. Today's episode is about a new approach to mental health, how you can start supporting your brain today, and the future generation of practitioners in the mental health space. So I had the honor to interview my incredible mentor, friend, Brendan Vermeyer, known as The Holistic Savage on Instagram. So back in 2020, I was exposed to Brendan's work at an online functional conference, and I was one of his students in his Metabolic Solutions year-long mentorship back in 2020 and then to 2021. I now have the honor of being part of his incredible team of practitioners as well as part of class one of the FMHP program. So Brandon is a mental health and metabolic health scientist and researcher, functional medicine educator, writer, and speaker. He is a board-certified holistic health practitioner, master nutrition coach, master personal trainer, USAW sports performance coach, and CrossFit trainer. So he began his career as a personal trainer and nutrition coach at the age of 18 years old after disappointedly being medically discharged from the United States Navy SEAL training pipeline due to an injury. After being exposed to the power of functional lab testing in the start of his career, he began intensely pursuing that as a career path, which has led him to be widely regarded as one of the top leading experts in metabolic health and functional education. He is the proud owner and founder of Metabolic Solutions Institute for Functional Health and Fitness Practitioners and the creator of the Functional Mental Health Practitioner Certificate course. He is also the founder of the Metabolic Solutions Research and Education Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to changing the way the world views mental health through advancing the science of mental health dysfunction. He is also the creator of the Mental Map Trademark, a cutting-edge lab panel for mental health. As a reminder, before we get started, any of the information shared in this episode should not be taken as medical advice and is for learning purposes only. Always refer to your medical doctor before making any changes to your diet or supplement regimen. Let's dive in. Hi, Brendan. How's it going? I'm good, man. How good. are you doing? You're doing good, doing good. Well, I'm so glad to have you on today. So this has been a, a little bit of, of a long time coming, I would say so. Um, having you as a guest, so it's truly an honor. You've been definitely a huge inspiration of mine as a mentor of mine as well for the past, how long has it been now? About almost a year and a half, more than that. I mean, yeah, it's been, a, than, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> We've been bros for a while, man. It's, yeah, it's been a good been, ride. It's been a good ride for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So today I wanted to have you on and yeah, bring in some really cool topic that I think a lot of people don't talk about. And then I wanted to pick your brain on these specifics but and first I want to know a little bit more about your story if you want to share your about your story whatever you feel like the most comfortable sharing and then uh, what basically led you down to the functional realm of functional medicine or holistic care or yeah so if you want to talk about that a bit and so that everybody can kind of understand your your background and story so 
Oh, for sure. Always, always happy to, I'm, you know, an open book and, and, uh, you know, it's always interesting because every like podcast or interview, people always want to, you know, start with the story. And, and so it's like, I've told it so many times and there's so many renditions. There's like the pain, the painful details, long grueling version. There's like the short cliff notes and yeah. so I'll just kind of give some cliff notes and, you of know, course. we can expand and dig deeper as, as needed. But it's interesting how, and, and I don't know why I feel compelled to say this right now, but I just speak off the cuff where, you know, a lot of times people will be like, oh, thank you for, you know, being so vulnerable and sharing your story. And it's like, <laughs> um, not, there's no vulnerability right now. I'm just telling what, what happened because I think there's a, a resonance and a personability in there. And, and I think through that personability and relatability, I think that's where people can draw a lot of inspiration and motivation and in recognizing that like, okay, you know, my struggles are not as unique to me as I might feel like they are. There are other people, many people, thousands, millions of people out there struggling with similar issues. Uh, so what can I extrapolate that's more self-serving to help dismantle those self-limiting belief systems? You know, the, the vulnerability, that's something I tap into on my own when I'm like tripping on mushrooms or something, <laughs> not something that like just comes out, you know, you know on, a, on a lighthearted podcast. But, you know, it's been such a long, crazy journey. So like just a few cliff notes to kind of help your audience uh, get a feel for, you know, what I'm all about. It's like, you know, I started my career uh, fitness and nutrition. I was a personal trainer, nutrition coach. So it was all about exercise physiology, nutritional biochemistry delivered through effective coaching psychology, right? And, you know, I, I make a strong point of those particular skill sets because that has translated very, very well uh, to the functional medicine space and served me very well, which I'll make a full circle loop with that. But, you know, it was when I was, uh, I was 17 when I was first put on a psychiatric drug. I, I was still in high school. I was just doing a, a physical for um, you know, wrestling to, you know, get the doctor sign off so I could do another season and everything. And obviously, you know, wrestling is, is during winter season. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned something about winter's coming up and it makes me feel depressed. I don't even think I used the word seasonal affective or anything like that, but this was just my primary care physician, family doctor, and, you know, at the age of 17. So no blood work, no referral to a psychiatrist or psychologist, no, no evaluation of any kind, just like, hey, 17 year old kid that, you know, might have some seasonal affective stuff like here's Zoloft, right? Uh, and I'm just, you know, being a good lad, my, my doctor or my, my, my father has always been very conventional and just like, oh, you have symptom, like, let me pull out the drug for that, right? Um, and I know everybody kind of gets what I'm implying with that just a heavy reliance on, on pharmaceuticals these days, but Zoloft didn't go well. So that was when I was 17. Uh, when I was 18, and this is probably an important detail because after high school, I, I joined the Navy for the SEAL program. I, I qualified. I signed a six-year Navy SEAL contract. Like I fully committed to that training pipeline. Wow. Uh, and at that point in my life, that was my life goal. That was my, at the time, you know, self-subscribed purpose, right? Sense of purpose is pretty important for mental health. Um, but it was, I was about halfway through basic training, uh, Navy SEAL boot camp, if you will. So I was in a Navy SEAL division of basic training up in Great Lakes outside Chicago, which is where the Navy does all their boot camp stuff. Um, I was about halfway through boot camp when they found I had a pre-existing injury and because it was deemed 
pre-existing as in I didn't get injured in training. Well, it's not their liability. It's not their problem. So they medically discharge you. And that's a whole long, painful story in itself. But the punchline really is I was medically discharged. My life goal, my life dream was really ripped away from me and there was nothing I could do about it. And that's really like I would knowing what I know now, I look back at my high school self and I would say like, wow, I was a high functioning, depressed high school young man. Right. So then it really wasn't until that sort of, you know, identity crisis when the Navy SEAL thing got taken from me out, you know, from circumstances outside of my control. I got surgery within like a week of getting home. I literally was in the gym the very next day after getting home because I didn't let it dissuade me. I was like, all right, I'm going to get this fixed. I'm going to get right back in. I spent about a year trying to get back into the military, specifically the Navy SEAL program. Um, Long story short, nothing was happening. And during that time, I was working at the gym, uh, scrubbing toilets. I was a janitor at, at the gym that I still go to every day and uh, really just working my ass off for that Navy SEAL goal. And it was really during that time that the mental health issues were becoming a lot louder, right? I, I was horribly depressed. I was relatively self-destructive, but I think it was sort of masked in this like altruistic, naive, like I'm going to be G.I. Joe, save the world and, you know, take out a few terrorists and go down in glory kind of thing. I, you know, read the book Lone Survivor in high school and that shit stuck. Um, so anyways, <laughs> but it was during that time post-Navy I started getting really depressed and I was like, I need to pivot. I need to move on with life. So that's where I was kind of faced with this crossroads of like military wasn't happening. You know, my father was trying to push me into academia and the college kid thing just did not resonate with me. I, that's not how I learn. I don't like academia. I don't like university school system. Mm -hmm. I'm really more of an autodidact and, and whatever. Um, so that's when I got certified as personal trainer and certified as a nutrition coach. So NASM CPT and Precision Nutrition Level 1, I'm 18 years old. Um, and I, I jumped into the world of being a health and fitness professional. And I just fell in love with all of it, all of it. Um, now, my interest was always a little bit more so I was very interested in metabolic physiology and biochemistry. I wasn't so interested in like corrective exercise and movement patterns and kinesiology. Um, the, the science of human movement wasn't so interesting. The science of the human metabolism was highly interesting. And the company I worked for, they had a lab testing program, metabolic testing. So like VO2 gas exchange testing, a lot of, a lot of very sciencey approach to health and fitness coaching. And that really got me started on the path. So anyways, fast forward a little bit though, it, then I'm a few years into my career, I'm 21 and my mental health is like an, at, at an all time low. Um, I found myself in front of the same doctor. This time I was prescribed Wellbutrin, a dopamine drug and you know, the Zoloft didn't work well. Uh, and Wellbutrin helped a little bit, but then he, because of the historical issues, I was referred to a clinical psychology psychiatry clinic and underwent formal psychiatric evaluation, which was all subjective. I just want to put that out there. It's all subjective questionnaires. And I'm not saying subjective questionnaires don't have value, mm -hmm. but I think subjective parameters measured objectively by questionnaires combined with objective data, like lab testing, as I'm sure we'll get into, 
is really the way to go. Our, our psychiatric model is completely based on clinical presentation, aka subjective presentation and symptomatology. So anyways, I was officially diagnosed with ADHD and major depressive disorder. Knowing what I know now, I think I probably could have or should have been diagnosed with bipolar spectrum disorder, if you will. Um, you know, there's a lot of these mental health disorders have a lot of comorbid mm -hmm. uh, epidemiological statistics. And then, of course, as we get into the conversation with those root cause factors, like the physiology underneath these conditions is more similar than not. A lot of the same, you know, issues there. But anyways, I'll speed this up a little bit because it was actually two weeks after I was diagnosed and put on those extra medications that I woke up in the intensive care unit breathing out of the tube because I had intentionally overdosed on the Wellbutrin because I had a very, very triggering crisis happen in my personal life, um, severe betrayal. And so I almost died and, you know, was in the ICU for like four or five days. Uh, my liver enzymes were in the thousands. I dug up the blood mm. work like years down the road. Um, then I went through a whole psychiatric ward where literally like you're locked up in a psychiatric ward, you can't step outside. You have no contact with the outside world. They're playing around with your prescriptions to stabilize you without consulting with you first. They talk to you like you're just a broken thing that needs drugs to, you know, live out. It's a horrible experience. And of course, you know, all you have to eat is this processed cafeteria food full of gluten and sugar and preservatives. It's just garbage food. Uh, no ability to really exercise. I was doing like calisthenics in my room. I'm like, I don't need the gym. I'll just whatever. Right. I lost like 20 pounds in that week while I was in the wow. hospital in between the ICU and the psychiatric ward. And then, you know, exiting the psychiatric ward, you have to go through this whole process of talking to the doctors and your family. My whole life's laid open, no privacy. Everything was just out on the table as everybody's concernedly talking about everything wrong with me and why I'm so broken. How could this happen? Uh, they talk about you as a, a broken thing, not a not a human, right? It's it's a horrible experience. I'd never wish upon anybody. And then as part of the discharge plan, I had to do uh, three hours of intensive group therapy with a social worker three times per week. So nine hours of group therapy every week for six weeks upon discharge. So then I'm like trying to get back to the gym, trying to get back to work, trying to get back to my life. And going through all of that and everybody knew there was some toxic drama and gossip and stigma. It was suffocating. Um, and that actually, I wish I could say that was rock bottom, but life got worse because then I found myself in a very toxic, codependent kind of narcissist yeah. empath relationship, if you will. We were living in a water damaged home. Um, you know, I was engaged to her. She had three children. She ended up getting really sick. And this is kind of where the story comes full circle because she came down with this debilitating chronic mysterious illness that nobody could figure out. None of our doctors could figure it out. Chiropractic, naturopathic, conventional physical therapy. We were doing our own research and experimentation with MTHFR and methylation and parasite cleanses and, you know, all the kind of holistic stuff yeah. that we were researching. And it really was in trying to save her and save us that that's what steered me, you know, from more of like holistic health and fitness coaching and steered me more into root cause medicine. Um, but, you know, I never saved her or us or anything. Uh, it just got worse. We separated. So and she ended up taking her life in 2020. Um, 
but it really wasn't until like two to three years after we separated that I got exposed to the concept of mold illness. So then I, I felt like that's what might have been plaguing her. I never confirmed it. I don't know, but she really fit the profile for, you know, the whole canary yeah. and the coal mine and SIRS and all that. Now she had a lot of things going on. She had unresolved childhood trauma, um, a lot of psychological issues, obviously um, made some horrible decisions multiple severe concussions from being a cheerleader and getting dropped on her head. Uh, and then as well as, you know, very stressful life with, mm -hmm. you know, two not very good, you know, father ex figures in the picture and, and then the water damaged home. So like life sucked, like that was the rock bottom was grinding that out. And, you know, me trying to navigate my way through and out of that horrible uh, relationship and, and situation, you know, I shouldn't say the whole thing was horrible, but it was a very, worst time of my life. I mean, it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through, but that, that whole, whatever I just said for the past 10 minutes, like that's kind of the story that got me on the path. And, and that's not really my why anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like I still do the work that I do because of her. No, what I went through got me on the path, but passion and serving others and just my own obsession with this science and material and, and everything around it that's what, you know, continues to drive me. So what people see now is just the organic evolution of what started with, with all of that. Amazing. Well, I, I truly appreciate like you sharing this story and, and there's beauty into this because I think everybody in that, we hear this a lot in the industry. We come in this industry from most of the time, most people that come in the industry of functional medicine, whether you are becoming a practitioner, whether you're becoming a doctor or even a, a client or patient per se, we're coming in a place from, from pain in general, right? So, and then that leads us to, and it's in some similarity as to myself, as to the pain of like chronic digestive issues who led me on to multiple uh, events, life events. And so, yeah, so this is a, there's, there's power to it. And I think using that drive and that, that as a, that's as some form of drive per se. And, um, on, there's so many things that we can do and impact people. And, and it's funny because one thing that if I go back to what you said about when you were uh, in the hospital, like, but to this day, we're in 2022. And I mean, I haven't been in an hospital in a very long time. And, um, but the food and, and like you said, like the foundation, we, we talk a lot about foundation and um, but how to this day, this system really, truly like those people that have strong uh, mental health challenges are not really being fed the optimum diet, uh, what you'll find in, in the hospitals in general. Um, so that, that's one thing that, you know, it, it just blows my mind. <laughs> Yeah, isn't it isn't it absolutely crazy that even still to this day, the psych the conventional psychiatric model really does not acknowledge that like what you put in your face has anything to do with psychiatric, cognitive, psychological, mental health. Like that is so mind blowing to me. I mean, it's the same with cardiology. Like cardiology has this attitude of like you know like your diet lifestyle has like nothing to do with heart health and stuff. I, I used to have a conventional. Uh, cardiologist as a personal training client and you know his level of arrogance was mind-blowing i'm just like that makes no physiological sense but okay it, it just it's crazy it really is crazy 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty shocking, but this is why we're the next generation breed of practitioners out there and just really changing this 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 system and just you know one one day at a time and but it's it's happening so i think we're seeing especially in the past well let's say three years two years now or of of the global <laughs> yeah you know and that's the thing like i i will admit um and i think anybody that kind of gets like burnt by conventional and then they discover functional holistic there, there's kind of that overcompensation where we get a little like melodramatic and we're like oh conventional sucks and functional yeah. is the best but then the pendulum settles in the middle like we need both and there's oh. benefits to both i mean ultimately it's like functional holistic is more preventative prophylactic more you know lifestyle uh holistic oriented as opposed to very reactive and pharma but like even still progress is being made and in that line between is getting blurrier. Like I was literally just on, you know, looking at something on Mayo clinic and I was pleasantly surprised at mapping out like with um, celiac of like, okay, well, here's the diagnostic testing and how to prepare for your doctor's appointment. And, you know, depending on how much villus atrophy and how nutrient deficient, you know, your doctor might recommend, you know, these nutrients like folate and D and zinc and okay. you know, whatever. And here's some dietary. So it was actually a very like comprehensive, like, all right, well, there's conventional, there's holistic. It's so, it's you coming. know, I mean, it's coming along. And, and I think the more that we can, you know, be less polarizing, right. There's too much polarization in today's world, but you know, we need conventional, we need functional. And ultimately we need the, the giant conventional model to integrate more, functional principles into the model and it's happening it's just painfully slow and there's you know 88 percent of americans that are metabolically ill and have no idea how to help themselves so there's a lot of work to be done obviously a hundred percent and then this is what one thing that you share a lot and this is really truly like at the end of the day that's truly what brought me to you and why i was so propelled to uh and i think the first time i i met you well not personally uh, but I think you were speaking at the uh, one of the functional lab company, uh, Great Plains, um, around the organic acid test and, and microglial mm -hmm. activation. So, and the biggest thing as well, and, and participating into the mentorship and undergoing under you, and it's this is where in my training, in my certifications, what I was missing is truly was blood chemistry, which leads uh, dives us into the second question that I had for you, and I was really because there's so much. You know, I for such a long time I thought that blood blood work was completely useless because that was my experience. This is I went to the doctor. Okay, I feel like shit, but everything's normal every single time. So not one time besides you know when I had maybe mono and you know that yes of course probably I I'd be so it's so funny because you shared about how your labs looked like back then and it was funny because I did go back to some of my labs, uh, but. I can't, I haven't been able to actually track down what were my labs when I had uh, Epstein-Barr of mono back in 2014. That would have been pretty amazing to see. But, and so to you, if I ask this question, so why blood chemistry is literally, I would say mostly functional blood chem, blood chemistry should, and you believe that it should be at the core of basically anybody's program, whether or not you're, you know, it depends, does it like, and that's the beauty of you were in the fitness industry. I thought this is like fascinating. And even using conventional range back then, let's get your hemoglobin A1C. 
or to regulate your blood sugar because obviously metabolic health is like you said over 80 percent of americans have issues um which blood sugar being dysregulation is a massive one and so that's amazing so yeah so like why blood chemistry like why should we you know assist that first and foremost at the right at, uh, at the at the beginning of a journey yeah, you know, it's crazy. It's it's a big conversation. And, and I feel really grateful that I started my career with the, the company I did because I got a lot of just great exposure to just really good scientific principles. And so literally, you know, I'm a brand new nutrition coach, personal trainer dude. And yet, you know, I was trained and exposed on on at least attempting to get all of your clients to do blood work and, and, and metabolic testing like VO2 testing and stuff. Um, obviously totally different technologies, both very powerful. So even from day one, I was trained with this idea of, you know, we're using objective blood work, blood chemistry, the, the most scientifically validated type of lab testing that exists. That is, you know, isn't it crazy how our ginormous, like trillion dollar conventional healthcare model you know, when you go and you're not feeling too good and they're going to run labs, what do they do? They pull blood like they're doing blood work. They do basic blood chemistry. Your blood work looks normal. There's nothing wrong with you. It's all in your head, right? Like we all know the drill. But isn't it crazy then you go talk to a functional provider and they're all like, no, like blood work doesn't tell you anything. Like it's worthless. <laughs> no, you need to do all of this like urine and hair and stool oh, testing yeah. that when you actually look into it, a lot of those technologies and that data, it's experimental and it's not FDA approved. It doesn't have like clinical validation behind it. And then people are freaking out about the results. So, you know, in the beginning of my career, I was immediately taught like, hey, we're not using this blood work to diagnose or treat medical conditions. We're using the same labs that your doctor would run. We're using the same basic blood work from a health optimization perspective, right? Which you know, now that has become a big thing and we all get it. Um, but I mean, you know, this was back in like 2011, right? And so that's how my career started. And so, you know, I always give the example of like, all right, as a personal trainer and nutrition coach, and I'm just, you know, health and fitness coaching the general population in the area that comes to that gym. What do those people want? They want to lose weight and feel better, right? Like nothing crazy. Uh, well, how do you want to measure success along your journey? Uh, well, I, I want to lose weight, so I'll use the scale. It's like, okay, well, that's not a very sensitive way of measuring how you're improving your health, right? Like, let's use body composition testing instead of body weight. So we know exactly what your body fat percentage is using a $10,000 body fat scanner. That's, you know, pretty accurate. Uh, let's use VO2 testing so we can measure your cardiorespiratory, cardiovascular fitness of like how much oxygen can your body suck in and use to drive ATP production and then exhale the CO2 so we can see how cardiovascularly mm -hmm. fit you are, metabolically fit you are. You know, VO2 is an amazing data point. And of course, the, the blood work as the most sensitive of all of like, you know, a $50 blood chemistry panel. If you're, you know, an overweight, pre-diabetic general population person that's starting to work out, starting to eat better, starting to dismantle self-limiting beliefs, okay, well, I'm pretty sure, you know, your glucose, your HbA1c, your insulin, your triglycerides, your liver enzymes, your white blood cells, pretty sure all of those are going to change before you see any change in the mirror or before you see change on the scale. So like, that's how it all started for me. 
So, uh, like, I didn't even know back then it, it was blood work, you know, your, your basic blood chem, not even basic, like an expanded comprehensive blood chemistry with CM, CMP, CBC, lipid panel, iron panel, but then, you know, steroid hormones and, and other metabolic mm-hmm. markers like leptin, or let's maybe also look at the thyroid a little bit, right? And how do we use, you know, the holistic lifestyle fitness nutrition approach with some supplementation on top of that? So that's the model that I was trained on and started with at 18. So then I, I didn't know any of this like functional medicine stuff or these functional lab tests. I didn't know any of that really existed. Uh, the only things it was blood work, VO2 testing. And as far as like the more functional lab testing, if we want to call it that, you know, we had like a four point salivary cortisol DHEA panel, like very basic. We had, you know, IgG food sensitivity, but that was it. Th- those were the That's lab it. test options wow. was blood work, food sensitivity and salivary cortisol and, and DHEA. Um, so it wasn't until like I left that company and kind of spread my wings and brought in my horizons and you know, I, I kind of discovered all this functional medicine stuff and all these functional tests. But then I thought it was really weird how a lot of the functional medicine education, you know, it's the stool testing, it's the urine testing mm-hmm. and hair testing and all this experimental stuff. And I'm like, but where's the blood work? So I, I brought all of that with me. And to me, it didn't make sense. So so anyways, to, to make a point here and, and kind of get to it, the problem that I see is like in the conventional world, they'll do minimal blood work and really only what is deemed medically necessary because otherwise insurance doesn't want to pay for it. You know, you're trying to keep costs Crazy. low, right? It's not let's test every biomarker under the sun. It's like, no, there has to be medical suspicion and medical reason to do anything beyond just basic, basic blood work. And of course, then there's the whole, well, you know, medical disease ranges versus like optimal functional ranges. That's the paradigm shift of like, well, maybe a glucose of 109 is acceptable by your doctor, but really from like a metabolic health perspective, we want that like 80 to 85, right? Um, so that's that paradigm shift. of It's just a different, more prophylactic way of using blood work uh, for health building purposes rather than disease management. But the major problem that I see is conventional really does like the bare minimum based on medical necessity yeah. using disease ranges Um, And they're not really interested or looking for root causes. It's just if the physiology is disturbed, what's the standard of treatment? What what drugs? So, you know, maybe it's like, okay, you should lose weight and exercise. Here's your prescription for metformin and statins and, you know, ACE inhibitors and whatever. But then on the other side of the spectrum in the functional world, we have this crazy approach where people are doing all of this experimental often not clinically validated or FDA approved experimental testing, which is more so like testing for the presence of something that could possibly hurt the body, right? You know, measuring mycotoxins in the urine, measuring, you know, heavy metals in the hair, measuring, you know, pathogen genetic material in the stool, more so like testing for the presence of something that could possibly hurt the body But then they skip the part about using blood work that is actually reflective of what the body is doing. And it's like, as you can see, those are two extremes. And it's like, well, we need both, right? Like we need to be using the blood work to assess the current state of physiology. And if the physiology is disturbed, then we might want to do some of that experimental testing 
to test for the presence of the thing that might be causing the disturbed physiology. So that's the issue. That's that's the divide. That's the split. We got to use both. And, and unfortunately, not enough people are doing that. Uh, absolutely. And this is the, the funny thing is that I think out of like the program that I had, I think I, it was a well-rounded program or certification that I did. Um, but like the biggest thing too, like when you just touch on mold, so, and it's so funny, I actually, if I recall, I've only run out of, thanks to you, I've only run four mycotoxin tests in my whole time and practicing and coaching. So I'm like, I'm super proud of myself in a sense of, how a lot of people are leading their practices and by all means, and it's not to, to shame any, any people, but at the same time, I'm like, well, if, to me, not running example, if mold is a big concern, why not like run a, a basic CBC, CMP panel, how's those kidneys are doing, right? Because obviously mold can affect the liver, the kidneys, like you, you always, we talked a lot about and, um, and that, you know, if, if the kidneys are not being herded, but then the, we're testing mycotoxin in the urine uh, and it's showing, but how is it impactful or doing antibody, uh, blood antibody tests for Aspergillus example, which we can do, right? So, but that's... Yeah, it just makes no no sense that way. It, it, it doesn't, and, and that's kind of the issue in the, in the functional space is, you know, and there's the cost factor that has to be addressed, right? Because that's the thing. I, I have nothing against any of these functional tests, but, you know, we have to be honest to the science of like, is there clinical validity? How accurate is the technology? Like, does it have established clinical significance? And a lot of these functional tests don't yet. You know, yeah. when you really look at the white papers and everything, it's like a proprietary technology. It's not FDA approved. Uh, you go digging in the literature and you can't find any published peer reviewed literature that says that, you know, that marker has really any mean. In fact, you know, the more I dig into it, the more I find a lot of contrary evidence of like, for example, you know, stool testing is like all the rage, right? You know, PCR stool testing for everybody. See how messed up your microbiome and gut is. Um, but it's like there is peer reviewed published literature that shows how actually this information, it, it basically says like, we don't know what any of this means in regards to clinical outcomes or disease processes. Like, sure, you can measure. There's a lot of things that we can measure, but what does it mean in regards to somebody's actual yeah. health and physiology? So, and I just, it, I don't know. It's unfortunate, like people either kind of go to the conventional academia background and they sort of get indoctrinated in that sort of myopic model, or then they kind of drink too much holistic Kool-Aid and they're just like lost down these rabbit holes and, you know, burning thousands and thousands of dollars on all this testing and, and using that testing to kind of convince people that, oh my gosh, like you have 20 different pseudo diagnoses, you have all these things wrong with you. Like, look at all this bad stuff. I just, I see that trap that the, the practitioners that have good intentions, they fall into that trap unknowingly. And then they pull their clients and patients into that trap and they think they're doing the right thing. They think they're doing good. Uh, and people kind of get chewed up and spit out like it, it, so it's it's an issue but that, you know that's why we're here that's why yeah. we're having these conversations <laughs> that answered basically kind of that third question uh the common mistake that we see that you see in the industry right so being 
some of these tests. And I think it's the, the biggest thing is the story we build around these, right? And that, and how the coaching aspect, because a lot of people is like, oh my gosh, look, like you're full of mold. Like, and how a lot of people, this is driving, and even myself, like I've, I've self scared myself in the past because of certain labs or, and I'm like, how, you know, is the science actually backing that up or not? Right. So, so which is a yeah, huge thing. Well, think, think of it like this, and, and this is, where, you know, that kind of coaching psychology background has served me well. Because uh, obviously, like, we're trying to help somebody feel better, get healthier, heal, whatever terminology we want to use. Okay, we're trying to educate, empower them, dismantle self-limiting beliefs. So if we're, like, using experimental data to convince somebody that they're sicker than they actually are, how, how is that helping them heal or, or get healthy, yeah. right? And, um, you know, it gets a little bit crazy where you know, from coaching psychology, we shouldn't be, you know, burning hundreds or thousands of dollars unnecessarily, right? Like if, if there's not really valid necessity mm -hmm. to run that test, why run it? Like, I think we need to be highly scrutinous in that way. Because like, for example, let's say somebody thinks that they have mold illness and they're talking to their functional coach, practitioner or whatever. And they're like, well, I want to do a urinary mycotoxin test because, because I, I, you know, well, we should, as effective coaches using effective coaching psychology, we should ask why. Why do you want to run that test? Well, because I think I, ha I might have mold illness. I, I think maybe mold might be contributing to my symptoms. Why? Why do you think that? Did, did you see a bunch of mold in your closet? Did, are you just consuming too much free mold content on Instagram from that weird holistic savage guy? <laughs> you know, right? Where you know, then they're like, well, because, you know, the holistic savage posted a, a thing about mold symptoms and I identify with like five of those symptoms, right? Okay. So if you were to run a mycotoxin test and it was positive and had high levels, you know, what is that going to do for you? What is that going to mean for you? What the point is you, you need to coach them back to what action can you take to help yourself now? Like why even bother jumping through all these hoops and spending all that money and like why don't we take action of what can be done about that now or maybe instead of running that urinary mycotoxin test if you have mold in your environment let's be using that money towards the expensive remediation that might be inevitable right so and i just i don't think enough practitioners yeah. are thinking in that way like it, it has to be constructive and and so the way that i see a lot of practitioners using labs it, it looks to me a little bit fear-mongering and kind of destructive and self-limiting and you know what I mean so there there needs to be some work in that I think for sure and that it's crucial it's crucial and yeah. and how do you monitor this I mean monitoring if truly somebody because obviously you've worked in a realm with mold and and true mold mold exposure with multiple with hundreds of people and so if, if it's a true fact, it's, a, it's affecting the physiology of the person, of course, but how do we track it? I mean, doing a, a mycotoxin test, a urine test every single week, and even sometimes you've even shared, some have done it like over the course of a couple of days in a row. And I'm like, this is this, I mean, these, these labs runs at about 400, 500 US dollar per, per test. I'm like, I mean, how, how far can you go, you know, when it comes, is it truly... I don't know. Is it, is it helping or not? Right. So and that's the question. And that's the thing, you know, I, I don't like I'm outspoken on all of this and I think there's some valid points yeah. that we're making. Cause it's like, I don't have a problem with 
the labs, I mean, it's great that we have all these tools and technologies. It's all in the interpretation. It's all in how that information exactly. is used. It makes me think of like, you know, when 23andMe was still pretty big, I feel like it's not as big any, I mean, it's the biggest it's ever been, but yeah. it's just not as talked about anymore. But like, I remember back in the day when I did my 23andMe for the first time, like I thought it was kind of cool where when I got my results, it asked me, it had this disclaimer that popped up of, hey, you know, some of the genes that we measure in this panel are related to disease outcomes such as Alzheimer's. Basically, the disclaimer is, do you want to know? Do you want that information? True, right? Because, that. you know, you can't change your genes, right? You can't, no. you, you can mod modulate your epigenetics, but you can't change your genetic code. So I thought it was actually very tasteful that this genetic testing company, 23andMe, like they have you sign off on a disclaimer of like, yeah, if you have APOE, which we know through a lot of research mm -hmm. that you are more predisposed to something like Alzheimer's down the road, doesn't mean that that's your destiny, right? We all know that. But like, do you want that information? It's kind of like if you could look into a, a you know crystal ball and see when you die. Do you really want to know? Like, is that going to help you live a better life or is it just going to psych you out, freak you out, and you're going to manifest your own death, you know, earlier, right? So it's kind of like that. It's like, it's all in how that data is used and interpreted. And so if we as practitioners or self-healers getting their hands on testing, if you're using the data to educate and empower yourself and it's constructive, great. But if you're using it to disempower and fear monger and, you know, kind of get these ideas planted in your neural networks of because, yeah, you think about that mycotoxin test and like, oh, my gosh, ochre toxin A is at 20, which it's like it's at 20 for everybody. It's like a false positive. If you have a lot of experience with that test, you, you know, you would know that. But, you know, all that person knows is like, well, it looks really high on the, the bar graph. And I'm reading the description for ochratoxin A and it says it's carcinogenic and nephrotoxic and it's going to kill me, right? So it's like, that's very, very scary. So, you know, thoughts become proteins. We have to really regulate how we're using that information in an empowering or disempowering way. For sure. I mean, it's, we, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's crucial. It's crucial in the coaching, in the coaching piece. And do you... I wouldn't certainly not know exactly when I'm going to die. Okay. Like, I don't need to know this. Like, how about I live yeah. my life? And when I really enjoy, like, truly, that's a great, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, no. I know I'm going to die eventually, but I don't, eventually, I don't need to know when. Uh, yeah. You know, of course, I keep telling myself, like, and I truly believe that, that humankind can live above 100 easy in 2022. Yeah. Easy, easy. But, yeah. um, you know, in that whole biohacking realm that I obviously subscribe to a lot but again using yeah. critical thinking but and um yeah and then the next question of what i want to ask and so basically all of this like how did you literally how did fmhp became to came back and like came to fruition like what happened like FM, what is yeah. fmhp and then because that's a it's a big it's a big thing of yours so yeah no thank you for the opportunity it, it it's Honestly, it's crazy. I mean, I'm so in it right now that, you know, sometimes I almost like lose perspective a, a little bit and I have to remind myself, I'm like, holy shit, how did I get here sort of thing? Because it's like, <laughs> it's been such a long time coming and such an organic process where like, 
I, I never had the intention of being an entrepreneur or starting my own business. I, I never really had that ambition. I, you know, and I'll, you know, I'll be candid. Like there's a lot of things about owning and operating my own business. I don't like, I mean, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work. Um, there's the things I really enjoy doing in my, you know, area of expertise and, and passion or whatever. Uh, and then the stuff that I have to do. But it all happened um, organically. You know, I, I used to be the head educator for a different functional medicine certification body. Um, I don't feel the need to talk about, you know, the specifics of that. But that job that I held for three and a half years, it, it changed my life and career because when I found that organization, it resonated more than about anything else ever. I mean, there were missing components. Um, there were things that I didn't like as much about, you know, the program and, and with the background that I had, you know, I, I think I brought a lot of that with me and then kind of expanding, but it, it was that community and that community changed my life because I had never felt, you know, so seen and understood and, you know, kindred spirits everywhere, just a very like-minded community and it really was like the the tunnel that I used to get into the broader functional medicine space. Um, and just the whole model of holistic lifestyle principles, intelligent supplementation and using objective lab testing, you know, to guide the whole way. I just that as a conceptual model, I just I felt so I, I was already in love with that. And that experience just heightened that. And, and I, I was the director of that community. I was clinical advisor, mentor. I hundred, mentored hundreds of people through that program, clinical advising. I mean, I was really like running the show other than the owner of the company. I was, you know, next in, in line and everything. And so I became a leader in that group, in that community. And, uh, you know, eventually it just, the, the vision and direction I was going was not the same vision or direction that the owner of the company was going. And it was all good. I still have a great relationship with the guy, but we did eventually part ways because, you know, I was really like, hey, here's how I think we could make this model better and more up to date and more innovative and just better. Right. You know, I think any methodology should always be getting better as the methodology advances, the science advances. Um, so anyways, we just, we had an organic parting of ways and, you know, I'll admit like it, I didn't, I didn't want to leave. I was sort of pushed out of the nest, you know? And so I just pivoted. I was like, well, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to now do it on my own. Right. So I spent like two, three years, you know, creating my own courses, my own, you know, educational materials. And, and it, you know, it took years but eventually it got to the point like this needs to be its own curriculum and this really just needs to be its own methodology and its own breed of professional. And it was so organic, but it was very easy for me to like, okay, we need a new cert certificate program designation credential that is really specifically, you know, functional medicine for mental health. Right. I think there's plenty of like entry level health coaching, functional programs out there. I didn't want to recreate the wheel. I didn't want to be competing against all these other established organizations. Um, I wanted my program to be more advanced, much more dense, uh, much more niche. So, you know, I mean, 
FMHP was born, a uh, functional mental health practitioner certificate program. And, you know, you're, you're in class one, we're yeah. doing it now. We're, we're just, we just opened uh, enrollment for class two. And I'm just like, I'm blown away by the response I'm getting to it. You know, I, like, I know that this is what is needed in the industry and in the world. I know that, but to see it really starting to catch on, to see what it's becoming, it's the most like fulfilling thing ever. It's great. So yeah, it's, it's a huge curriculum. Um, you know, I'm not done building it yet, but it's shaping up to be like over 200 hours at this point. It's crazy. Oh, it's um, massive. <laughs> I'm really proud of it. Like, yes. I think it's really it's... good. Like, you know, everybody, it's an application process. As you know, I'm not just allowing anybody like, no, you have to, you have to really know your stuff. So even though I did an application process to, to qualify these people, everybody in the program is like an experienced, knowledgeable pra- practitioner. And yet they're still like, whoa, <laughs> this is next level. This is dense. This is, you know, unlike any other education. So that makes me feel really good, you know, because I, I do, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I think we need just a higher level practitioner that can navigate this stuff very efficaciously. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And the biggest thing with that, it's always, I mean, working along and, and with you and like seeing going through all these um, for these past months. I mean, critical thinking is like where like this is what this FMHP program brings back is that critical thinking. And thus far, in my experience, it's just been, uh, you know, I, I like I like to dig in. I like to dig into the why. So why are you telling me to do this? Why should I uh, make these modification in my whether it's in my lifestyle whether it's in my nutrition whether whether it's a, a recommendation in my supplementation like why I, I want to know why and then and understand that when you're going through your you can be confident that when you're actually going through some specific uh, blood markers or, or, or lab testing and and everything is being scientifically based is important because and then and also if you share more about it, like mental health per se and then your experience with mental health how is how is it actually being taken care of or supported or recognized in the industry like how is that looking and and why like you know and the mental map is an incredible tool that allows us to actually pinpoint some of these uh, factors that can actually increase or uh, the risk of right of not feeling so great so mentally right so in microglial activation maybe you can elaborate a little bit on on that one and what is it because and yeah what kind of to what can you do what can you do right so prevention oh yeah no i mean you, you know i'm happy to talk about that stuff uh yeah you know it's it's, it's crazy how it all came to be but the the mental map so there's what it is now, which is currently at this point in time, it, it's five different proprietary lab tests, you know, so um, it, it really all started as a more of a research custom panel. I mean, I, I was doing a lot of custom panels with my private clients and, you know, finding like really ultimately like what clinically validated biomarkers are relevant for these health issues and what's helping me do my job and, and providing us with that objectivity so we know that the interventions being applied, whether that's with their doctor or through our more holistic lifestyle and supplemental approaches, is it working? And do we have objective data to prove it's working? And I was having a lot of success with kind of just my own custom model. Um, and then I was approached by a medical laboratory that wanted to 
contract me for the sake of advancing the research of some of their own unique testing. And so it was like, well, if we're trying to learn more about your test, which is this, we need a lot of data. We need to run a lot of those with other biomarkers that are very well clinically established so we can see you know, what the trends and correlations are. That's kind of how it started. And somewhere along the line, you know, because I was really big into or am really, you know, microglial activation is kind of like my claim to fame these days where, uh, you know, the microglial cells, they're the innate immune cell of the central nerve system, really the white blood cell of the brain and central nerve system. And uh, they play a monumental role in, in regulating mental health because they really are the guardians and the architects of the CNS. You know, they're the guardians in the sense of if anything bad is going on, whether a you know, naughty pathogen is, you know, flaring up inflammation in the brain or there's, you know, damaged proteins or any sort of neuroinflammatory insult, you know, the microglial cells have to protect the brain and regenerate and heal it. Like that's what white blood cells do. But they're also the architects where they have a critical role in neurodevelopment and synaptic trimming and pruning and synaptogenesis and neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. So really, like when it comes to ultimately regulating homeostasis in the central nerve system in your neuronal tissues, it kind of is, this is simplistic, but it works and it's valid. It's kind of a matter of how much neuroinflammation versus how much neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, right? So with neurogenesis and neuroplasticity, that's how we heal and develop the nervous system versus neuroinflammation, you know, acutely is, is helpful in healing, right? Uh, to fight off pathogens, antigens, remodel tissues, but chronically is degenerative. Like, what do you think neurodegeneration is? It's chronic mm. neuroinflammation, oxidative stress, excitotoxicity, so on and so forth. So, you know, this is where with mental health and more of a neurological, neuropsychiatric, medical, clinical approach to mental health, you really can't claim to be caught up and up to speed on the scientific literature mm without being very familiar with microglial cells, they are like the focal point of neuropsychiatric research anymore. And, you know, big pharma is well aware, like big pharma is, is looking at let's create new drugs or repurpose old drugs. And their mechanism of action is really modulating the immune system of the brain, specifically the activity of the microglial cells. So these microglial cells are just, I don't know, they kind of steal the show as far as like, mechanistically what pulls the most weight in your neuropsychiatric cognitive you know uh functionality like oof, what those microglial cells are doing is 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 arguably number one you know that's kind of my argument yeah. i guess you could say it's complex so it's very nuanced very complex so the mental map map is an acronym stands for microglial activation profile my goal and objective with designing that panel was taking the biomarkers that we have widely available and accessible through the major medical laboratories, Quest, LabCorp, that have very strongly established clinical significance and can be used to objectively qualify the degree of neuroinflammation, leaky brain, microglial activation, so on and so forth. And I mean, shoot, you know, you, you've gone through a lot of that education, mm -hmm. so you get it. And like, I already, like, I, I can, you know, I'm pretty ahead where... I know what the critics would say where it's like, well, you know, you can't say that like a serum blood marker is reflective of inflammation in the brain. It's like I could drown any of those critics in, in you know, hundreds, if not thousands of citations that say otherwise. Right. 
Um, so I, you know, I'm very, you know, proud of that panel and, and we're constantly, you know, adding to it. And there's a lot of long-term goals. I, I just was telling you earlier today, we're going to, I'm designing a genetic component with that where, you know, there'll be the genetic test, which is a component of the mental mm -hmm. map experience. Um, but it's really cool to see what it's becoming and, and, you know, the whole FMHP curriculum is really built on the backbone of the mental map because that's, that's our baseline assessment. So we can see like where they at now. And then as we're applying whatever intervention resonates with them that they choose, is it working? Are we seeing the biomarkers move in the right direction? So that's kind of the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and I know, and you talk about genetics and I know like, uh, BDNF, brain-derived nootropic factor, how important that is. You know, it's all these things that I mm -hmm. found fascinating about genomics as well and how to modulate things through epigenetics. And But there's so many things that we can do, you know, that a lot of people just simply more movement. And I know, like, you preach it and you preach it and you preach it all the time about physical uh, movement, how important mm -hmm. it is. Like, I mean, like, just the fact that blood glucose dysregulation being a huge issue worldwide so not just in america or us or canada um, but i mean how muscle contraction is really a key point to regulating blood sugar right so mm -hmm. and multiple other things too so like and and if there was a couple major things that i think anybody could apply and it's actually almost like a, a per se I would say like a panacea for everybody to actually practice on a on a daily basis a weekly basis whatever it is but to really help improve overall uh mental health state so and what would like your top your top few things would be oh yeah i mean it's it's mind-blowing to me and and uh you know this 200 plus hour curriculum that i'm building and eventually i'll write a book because i get so sick of you know some of the trolling i get on social media because people just they don't get it and it's like well, yeah, it is complex. You know, it can't, it can't like mental health, I feel like is more complex than other things because whereas, you know, gut health or cardiovascular health or liver health, all right, you know, we're talking about a non-sentient organ, you know, it's an organ, it's physiology, it's, it's a little bit more cut and dry. Mental health is so much more convoluted because now we're not only talking about physiology and biochemistry, we're also talking about psychology and psycho-emotional belief systems and spirituality so there's that very monkey mind psychology component in there, because the question then becomes like, you know, are you like, let's say depression is the issue or as opposed to anxiety, insomnia, schizophrenia, whatever, but like just <laughs> simply like, are you depressed because your brain's on fire from neuroinflammation caused by, you know, gluten ingestion and leaky brain and, you know, mold illness or whatever? Like, is it more an etiological, physiological factor that's driving a physiological neuroinflammatory cascade that is causing the symptom of depression? Or are you depressed because you have no confidence, you have no sense of purpose, you know, your quality of life is shit, right? Is it more psycho-emotional in origin? So that's what makes mental health, yeah. you know, very fun and hard to work with because it's all of the psycho-emotional and physiological factors just mixed together, which is why... I think bringing some objectivity with the lab testing is really helpful because, you know, we have an objective means to show like, hey, we're making progress, symptoms are getting better, biomark. And to be fair, as you well know, as I teach through my program, 
you know, the three main things that we use, you know, the mental map for the objective lab testing, the uh, functional RX for symptomatology scores, but then that circle of life exercise, which is perceived quality of life, because if we're trying to really help somebody improve their mental metabolic health, well, we should see their labs getting better. We should see their symptoms getting better, but their perceived quality of life should also get better. So it's that very, you know, broad holistic approach to it. And so with that said, you know, we kind of have to distinguish, like, especially modern America is, is the best example because of chronic disease is, is just different in America compared yeah. to the rest of the world. It's scary. Now, it's scary. It's wrong. crazy. Oh, it's horrible. And, you know, chronic disease, which is a, a modern plague of, you know, you know, unconscious consumerism, it's spreading to Canada and Mexico and oh, Asia yeah. and, you know, everywhere that you know, McDonald's and Coca-Cola go like chronic disease follows. But in America, it's a very interesting case study because it's like, let's, let's kind of put aside some of the more genetic predisposition, severe mental illnesses, such as schizophrenia or bipolar. Like, let's kind of put that on the side for a second and let's focus on the big ones, which is the depression, the anxiety, the ADHD, the brain fog, the insomnia, right? Um, Okay, well, we're talking about a population that is 88% metabolically ill. We're talking about a population that is 70% overweight or obese. We're talking about a population that's 43% diabetic or pre-diabetic. About 30% approximately have a fatty liver. One in 45 children are born with autism. So this is where, you know, again, having that background in metabolic health with fitness, nutrition, coaching, psychology, uh, metabolic health and performance. That's my background. So then like, it really, really hit me last year that that was like when it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Cause I was lecturing at an integrative medicine for mental health conference. And I'm lecturing to hundreds of psychiatrists, mostly MDs, like 90% MD psychiatrists. And it was an integrative conference. And yet their knowledge of like metabolic health was, was not great. You know, I talked about exercise and nutrition and sunlight and, you know, very holistic, you know, lecture that I put on. And I even kind of asked like, how many of you are exercising regularly? Like you are mental health physicians. How many of you are using, are are exercising yourselves or recommending exercise as part of your like, you know, integrative protocols. Right. And they all looked like deer, deer in the headlights. So it, it, it dawned upon me that I'm like, well, Brendan, you come from a background of fitness and nutrition. So while it's common sense and second nature to me, apparently it's not for the majority of America. So now I'm starting to, you know, see and hear, you know, forward thinking psychiatrists talking in, in terms of like metabolic psychiatry. What a novel concept. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Like your metabolic health, that's the foundation of your health. So like I take a very, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately where the three like M's or the three big M's, the three big rocks, it's like mindset, metabolism, microbiome. Like if you can get those three things on lock, I think you'll be okay. And, you know, so with that, everybody is so obsessed with like, what lab do I run? What's the root cause? What pills do I take that make the root cause go away? And then just everything fixes itself. And it's like, mother effers, that's not how it works. Like that's just not how it works. Nope. When, you know, your metabolic flexibility is dog shit. Your blood work is dog shit. Your VO2 is that of a, you know, 
like it's not it's not good. So I'm not saying that like fitness and nutrition fixes everything, but like exercise, activity, sunlight, sleep, stress management, really good nutritional habits and relationships. If you get that unlocked and you're practicing that consistently, that's going to fix like 90% of the problems that we try to, you know, treat with pill protocols in the functional medicine space. So, I mean, I could rant about that all day, but it's like the, the environment, the lifestyle, the belief systems, like that's the focal point. Supplements are like 10% of the equation. Medications are as needed as prescribed by your doctor to keep you alive. And it, it blows my mind. I don't know. It comes down to public health education because yeah. you look at what did the American government do during COVID uh, to help the American population like get healthy? Mind blowing. Like what public health effort was there? They they used Krispy Kreme and, and burgers to incentivize booster shots. You know, it's fast food commercial, pharma commercial, fast food commercial, propaganda. And it's like, if that is not deeply insulting to you and you don't see the problem with that, like can't help you, right? Like, No, no, 100%. And I mean, it, it's 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 crazy because, I mean, uh, only that I see like the um, these advertisements when my, if I visit my parents and I, it's mind-blowing the amount of ads there is and then followed by, you know, the number one junk food company that you can possibly find on a corner Brought of the street. By Pfizer, right? There <laughs> you go. So, I mean, you know, who cares about what medical choices you make? I don't care about that. But, I mean, let's just bring it down to, I mean, I didn't I didn't have to, I didn't need somebody to tell me that I was, it's just, I mean, it's my podcast. So I don't, I really don't care what I'm going to say, but I was fat before. So, I mean, if you're a hundred pounds overweight, I mean, it's going to be really, really hard to, you know, you, you got to start there first, but we got to start reducing that inflammation. And clearly you're going to have a lot of that, especially when it comes down to mental health and it's not to deem people. I mean, we all start somewhere, of course, yeah, but, but I mean, just simple, simple walk a couple, like if you start walking that 3000 K then to 5,000 K steps a day and 10,000 a day, I mean, what, 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 what did our ancestors used to walk like crazy? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's not about, you know, it's not we're it's not about shaming people. Like shame is not a conducive no. tool for empowerment, right? Like shame is the opposite of that. But we do have to call out the metabolically ill elephant in the room, which is the subject that, you know, the American powers that be are, are avoiding, right? It took them over 2 years of hundreds of thousands of people contracting the disease and dying before they admitted that like, oh, it seems based on undeniable science that, you know, being overweight increases your risk of infection. Like maybe we as a government should do something to improve public health education or accessibility to healthier foods, or maybe we shouldn't drill, uh, you know, processed food marketing down their throats and that you know what i mean it's like yeah. you sell them the poison then you sell them the, the medicine and that's the issue and and that's where i get fired up because it's just like i don't know uh it, it's public health education that's that's what's needed right now and but the thing is it's a beautifully simple solution right like you know people want to argue online all the time and you know it's such a polarizing world and whatever it's a beautifully simple solution though and if people really 
committed themselves, you know, to their highest path and their higher self, the, the part of their soul that freaking knows better, right? Of like, yeah, get out in nature every day, go for a walk every day, like exercise regularly. And if you don't know how, hire a trainer that can teach you and coach you. Like if you don't know how to eat, hire a coach that can teach you how to eat, right? Like nobody else is doing that for us, right? It's it's the the plague of modern unconscious consumerism. And it's it's uh it's it's the biggest thing that a lot of people say, you know, why it's so hard. I mean, it's a privilege to just really like, dude, like you're walking, let's go. Like, it's kind of like yeah, we're at this point and like calling it out for what it is. Like, we, we just can't. We just cannot not, not call it because I'm just like, yeah, I can't help you if you're not willing to do these steps. Right? I mean, we got to move. We got to like, gotta get things going. I mean, it's just if uh, and it's a reminder, even like because. You know, if, as to myself, and I love love the, the the advanced technologies, the biohacking tools, and all that, and the supplements. I love all of that stuff. Like, I'm always going to be, you know, somewhat like a, a huge fan, and because I want to move forward, and then I want to excel. But at the same time, it's like it's a oftentimes I did get myself caught up into this uh, this this wheel of like, oh, I can. I can hack this, I can hack that, and then I can cut my way through. No, I mean, there's there's certain tools that will help you tremendously, 100%. Uh, but it's just doing the, the consistency for physical activity. Uh, it does not have to be, like, massive, massive, like, let's go for CrossFit, like, every single day. Like, no. What works for you? What can you start working on today that will, you know, move the needle? Absolutely. It's, it, you know, it's behavior modification, which uh, again is what's cool how my career has done this like full circle thing, because it's like, yeah, I mean, your <laughs> metabolic health, your physique, uh, your blood work, it's a reflection of your day to day choices. Right. Yeah. And I get that it's overwhelming and paralysis by analysis. And you, you see this all the time where people uh, that say they want to get healthier and, and whatever, they're over consuming free content online that quite candidly is overcomplicating what it takes to get healthy, right? It's overcomplicating and they're over consuming free content and under implementing and under integrating yeah. that content into their day-to-day -day choices and behaviors, right? It's a beautifully simple solution. Does it take some discipline? Yes. And if you're like, oh, well, I'm just, it's so hard. Okay, well, we need to dismantle that victimization and, and victim mentality. We need to dismantle the self-limiting beliefs that are keeping you stuck. And that's where, like, do it, like, you, just be honest with yourself of if you can't do it on your own, get help. Like, whether that's psychotherapy, a nutrition coach, personal trainer, functional medicine practitioner, it, you know, it can take a team, right? But the ironic part about it, I see this a lot over the course of my career, I will admit I'm a little bit of the mindset and, you know, I mean, I've got 12 years of professional experience. That's so like, oh, prove me wrong. The people that really want it, the people that really want to change, they usually make the changes without having professional help, right? Like I'm a good example of that. Like I've never, you know, I never had a health coach or a nutrition coach or a, you know, like I just did it on my own accord because I cared. I was obsessive. I was passionate. I would not let anything stop me from reaching my goals, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and so I see that a lot where the people that really do want to get better and reach their goals, 
they're going to do it without, they're going to find a way and they're going to do it without any paid professional help. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sound hypocritical and suggest like, no, people should hire a professional to get help if they need that, that, you know, can be a very helpful tool, but there is something to be said about like, if you really don't want it bad enough to do it on your own, like, do you actually want it? You know, cause like throwing money at a professional, they can't do it for you. You know, that they might be able to motivational interview the hell out of you. They might be able to help you dismantle belief systems and recognize self-limiting patterns and behaviors. They might be able to teach you a thing or two. And that's all very valuable. But at the end of the day, like you got to face yourself in the mirror and what's holding you back, right? Like, let me spare you decades of therapy and say, like, you are in your own way. You got to get out of your own way, you know? So the question is, what do you need to do? get out of your own way. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, there's not shortcutting it in a sense of that. So it's just, it's just at one point. And that's, you know, yes, I've acquired uh, knowledge. I've seek help to help me through and guide me through this journey myself. And, but at the end of the day, it's like driven myself, myself. (laughs) So, yeah. And at the end of the day, it's, this is kind of funny because I mean, we can stay in that, that victim mentality, but at the end of the day, most people really truly don't care. And this is kind of in a sense of like, not to be blunt, but I'm like, yeah, I mean, if, you know, uh, hacked on it, but yeah, it's gotta be, <laughs> something's gotta change for sure. And, 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 yeah. and of course, I, I think it's, it's a bigger picture as to the system too. Right. Um, yeah, obviously like these ads are not like the, the, the way that food is being modulated and, uh, modified. I mean, it's clearly, um, driving and the social media. I mean, the, the drive of dopamine excess in the brain. I mean, who, who's to say like uh, too much dopamine too is, is not, it does not necessarily induce always the best behaviors. So. Yeah. I mean, don't, that's the thing. I, I have a, a deep amount of empathy and compassion yeah. for, for the issues at hand. It's a huge socioeconomic issue. I mean, what's accessibility in to healthier foods, right? Like how how many people there, like there are definitely parts of the United States I've no intention in traveling to because they're food deserts. There's nothing but processed food, you know, that's accessible, right? That this is again, where we need better public health education and better accessibility and affordability, you know, and, and that's the thing is you always hear, and it's a reflection of that victimization of like, well, but healthy food is expensive or whatever. And it's like not as expensive as disease management, right? Oof. Like, you know, you don't need a gym membership to be metabolically fit, like go hike a mountain or, you know, swim across a lake. Like you don't, you don't need a gym membership to get fit and you don't have to shop at Whole Foods to eat healthy food, right? You know, and it's cool to me. I'm seeing a lot of really like great grass movement, grassroot movement starting to become more popular where yeah. it's starting to become trendy to like grow your own food or be friends with your local uh, butcher and farmer Farmers. to get that yeah. farm fresh grass fed, you know, meat and whatever. So it's happening. Um, but again, the affordability, the accessibility, and of course, when the capitalistic market, all of this propaganda and marketing that is preying upon and seducing very seducible, you know, neurological systems, right? Like, yes, processed food is highly addictive. Yes. Having all of this messaging blasted into your neural networks and psyche through mainstream media and algorithm, you know, programs, marketing 
um, yeah, like literally everything is working against Americans in, in context mm-hmm. to, to health. It's, it's really only like the entrepreneurial space that is, you know, the wellness warriors and the health advocates and enthusiasts that are actually teaching Americans like what it means to eat healthy, what it means to be active, what it means to, you know, that's not a, a service that the, the government is, is providing mm-hmm. uh, quite the opposite. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's very, uh, you see that a lot, in, obviously in the U.S., but it's everywhere. It's everywhere, right? So I think yeah. uh, it has gone, you know, but, and then, um, yeah, so it's been uh, quite the, the hour. And it, if I ask you as well, I want to ask and see, like, what what's your vision for the future of, of functional medicine or the holistic realm? Like, what do you envision? And, um, yeah, for the future, because I think we're both visionaries. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot that I can see and we can see that is happening. It's it's moving in that direction. It's just, of course, it's taking time. But what's the vision that you'd like to, you desire uh, to see in the years to come? Well, my, my, my vision, my dream for humanity and the collective is we reachieve symbiosis with one another and, and the planet, right? You know, we, we are the dysbiotic organism on this planet. And the thing is, we have the technological know-how and capacity to live as a, you know, species of seven, eight, nine, ten billion. Like we're, we're not overpopulating the planet yet, but we are over consuming a lot of the precious resources and not doing so in a way that maintains homeostasis with the biological world. So like at more of a, you know, you know, like hopefully we don't go extinct in the next hundred or 200 years kind of trajectory. You know, I hope to see that that beautiful harmony of like modern technology and sociology that is perfectly woven and integrated into the biological world. Right. Like I picture instead of having these scary looking, you know, Wi-Fi towers, those ugly death tower things that are everywhere now and the 5G and, you know, EMF. Like, what if we, uh, you know, use mycelium networks in the ground to conduct, you know, the internet and everything? What if we, like, I look forward to a more, you know, green society uh, that is more in balance with with Mother Nature and, and the natural biological world. So it's the best of both worlds. It's, you know, it's primal, it's biological, but it's modern and, and evolved. Um, I think I think we can and, and will get there. Uh, I think psychedelics will the psychedelic movement will be a catalyst in that movement because, uh, you know, the psychedelics really help us reconnect to our more primordial biological origins. So, you know, I'm just doing what I can in the itty bitty functional space to, you know, just do what I can, which is all I can do. So, I mean, for now, uh, I'm just going to keep doing this FMHB thing and the mental map thing because to me, those are the channels, the vehicles, the instruments that I, you know, have created that, it is making a difference. And, um, you know, I've got my research foundation that that's, you know, getting set up and the research I want to do through that. Um, so it's interesting, you know, it's crazy because it's like, I'm doing everything I can do. I don't have the bandwidth for more. And I know it makes a difference, but I see how it's still such a itty bitty tiny piece, you know, it's going to take all of us, you know, it's kind of team humanity at this point. Um, and it, it just really was heartbreaking to see how, divisive and polarizing the past few years were and and i hope that you know we can heal together through that like we have to reachieve symbiosis absolutely 
amongst ourselves before we can tackle the greater problem of symbiosis oh. with the planet or universe. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. That, that's for sure. I mean, it's been quite quite the ride. <laughs> and yeah. na- navigating it mentally, right? So it's good. Like if you've been able to navigate through it and and kind of put your blinders on in some ways, you know, in some areas, that definitely helps. But that's amazing, I think. And I I think psychedelics is something that I, I have dove in a little bit into it. And I know what we will in, through the FMHB. I think this is something that you are actually l- will be doing a, a, a whole module on that. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I think it's like module 16 or something like that. Oh, but yeah, we're uh, I'm excited. whole module on the, the psychedelic science. I've been working on some of that content recently. And um, yeah, that, that's, that might be one of my favorite modules in the whole program. It's, it's one of my favorite topics for sure. Um, I guess if I had to summarize like all my major, you know, kind of career focal points, it's like, uh, you know, the mindset, the metabolism, the microbiome, and then, you know, a little dash of psychedelics just kind of glues it all together really profoundly. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a whole other conversation we might have to have one of these. Yeah, days. for sure. Absolutely. I, I'd love to have a conversation on psychedelics actually, cause I, I, I've, I've dove in a little bit. I've tried a little, some microdosing. I had some <laughs> funny experience in the sense of like, Oh, what's happening? But I've never, uh, and I used to be so, um, I mean, it's just like as a collective in the past, just look at this conditioning. I was like, oh, this is so bad for you. I'm like, oh my gosh, like magic mushroom. I'm like, how dare you? This is, you're going to hurt somebody, uh, which is funny because I, I saw that from one of your posts the other day. Um, oh, that was, that, that just cracked me up. But I'm like, no, I think there's a lot of people, the more we, we, we open ourselves to, the idea of like okay let, let i may not be in full alignment with that but that's okay we don't we, we can argue and just like we can agree and disagree but and but let's hey why not let's take a peek at it and that's kind of like how i i took a i guess a look at many things that i'm like oh actually that's pretty interesting so i've always been super curious but um definitely psychedelics maybe it will be a different journey and if that's this cool so. Yeah, I mean, it's there. It, there's a lot of really great published literature. Already. You know, it's it's kind of one of those like, w- what does a person need to believe in something or be open to something? You know, is it just intuition and that's enough? Uh, you know, early adopters, slow adopters, but psychedelics. I mean, they've been around for well forever. Yeah. Uh, they're not going anywhere, and this is an absolute Bye explosion time. of of psychedelic uh, science right now. Um, to me, I think what kind of grinds my gears a little bit right now is like, there is a lot of very good published clinical research and, and, and literature on psychedelics already. So to me, when people are just super reactive and closed off to it, to the point that they're attacking it, right? They're, you know, projecting their arrogance and attacking and trying to, you know, be inflammatory in that way. Um, you know, it's like, I can understand that you know, maybe it doesn't resonate or it freaks people out, but it's like, well, but, you know, especially with all the, you know, during COVID, it was like, well, what's the science say? You know what I mean? And it's like, okay. I mean, have you actually looked at the published research on psychedelics? Cause if you actually read through that, 
Like, what more do you need to even just be open to humoring the idea, whether you're going to do it yourself or not? Um, you know what? You're going to wait for another 10 years for some talking head in a white coat to say, I approve of psychedelics. For No, look, like, um, shoot, I just, the, what was that paper? Just the other day, that post that you're referring to, like they just uh, started a uh, clinical trial uh, you know, FDA approved breakthrough status for psilocybin for treatment resistant PTSD. It's already been wow. clinically studied for treatment resistant depression. So it's like, no, guys. So these people that are like antagonistic towards psychedelics and very against it. OK, well, clearly you're not ba basing your beliefs off science because the science is already there just because, you know, it's not. And, and then it expands into this conversation of corruption around like, well, big pharma is trying to monetize the psychedelics where it's synthetic psilocybin that's in the clinical trial, not, not, you know, the mushrooms that you can grow for free on your own. It's synthetic. That's going to have to be prescribed mm. and through the internet because that's how they're going to make their money. So it's yeah. just like, you know, these people that are against it, it's like, oh, just wait here in 10 years, your doctor will be prescribing you synthetic psilocybin and making money off you that way. But sure, just go ahead and attack me for sharing science and information, right? So it's it's insane. And it's the people that are most against it that need it the most. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't help you. I'm just going to like sneak some psilocybin or LSD into your drink and you're going to wake the hell up and realize you're an asshole. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. I, I And I just love like, you know, Oh, we need more of this. I think this is so important. But hello, those psilocybin. Hey, mom. No, yeah. it's, a, uh, it's so funny. Actually, I was having this conversation, and then my stepfather was at the table. I was like, "Mom, yeah, I have some mushroom. You want some?" And it's kind of funny. Like, and I'm like, my mom's like, "Oh, oh," but it's just so funny because she was. And then my stepfather was just not in for it. And then she's yeah. like, "But, but, but, it could be good." Like, I don't. It's just she's just like in bed with it. I just love it. Yeah. I, yeah. She's so supportive. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. No, I get my, my, my stepmom is actually like pretty open. I'm like, yeah. all right. Like, cool. My, my, my stepmom, like she's on board. She's interested. She's open. And it's my, my dad that needs a little more like, convincing or something. And it's funny. Uh, like I had my previous episode that we did. Um, it was about like, um, we talk a lot about muscle testing and all that. I, anything not grounded is is really could be a shit show. But uh, and we talked about that, like how you know some retreats, even here in Alberta, that was happening. They were charging, I think it was like something like eleven k per person for an overdose on on, on psilocybin or on, on magic mushroom. I'm not sure if it's psilocybin per se, but like eight grams of it, like four grams, and then another another dose. And then they would charge, if people had an entity, they would charge them an extra 5K. And I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. So it's kind of like educating yourself so that maybe we can make better choices. <laughs> so that was, yeah, super no, yeah. that was super interesting. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just, I'm all about educating and empowering yeah. individuals, right? Um, period, whatever, whatever that means. And it's just like, I don't know. Um, I, I don't like the medical restriction in America. You know, it's like you go to other countries like Mexico or Egypt, you know, you can walk into any pharmacy on the corner of any street and buy literally like anything. And I'd rather it be that way. Like if you abuse that and you kill yourself, that's your own prerogative. That's your own there choice you and problem. 
But at the same time, like, I don't think medicine should should be as restricted on lock and key or whatever. It's like, no, I think people should be able to treat themselves because you make them jump through this kind of broken, you know, loophole system uh, so that you guys can make money off sick people. Like, I just I'm not into that. And so the synthetic psilocybin thing, I'm like, God, just grow your own mushrooms in your basement and uh, have a good life. Yeah, see, it blows my mind because even like, and this is why to me it's. Uh, I mean, I guess I have to bring it and bring to the topic, but willingly I could get anything. I could get multiple, multiple boosters, no problem. There's no question asked, right? But then if I want to have some a basic blood chemistry, I can't get that in Canada, like per se, right? So I don't care. I'll pay out of the yeah. pocket, but I, you don't even have access to that. So it's not enough to be a rent, but I'm like, this is great. I'm like, yes, I think medicine should be accessible to, to anybody, right? To anyone. So it's not like I'm going to go turn around and just let's go load up on the antibiotic. No, but like, it's just, I think people make, can make their own choices. And yeah, it's just hard, you know, especially Canada, America, just kind of the socioeconomic climate and everything, especially in America, you know, it's like we really pride ourselves on our freedoms. And it's like, it doesn't look like we have health freedom and health sovereignty, right? Not in Canada. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Canada, <laughs> I'm glad I'm yeah. in America. But, I'm looking to Mexico uh, soon, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, it, like if you don't have your health, what do you have, right? And if you don't have your freedom, what do you have? So when I feel like based on what I see, the writing, it's like, doesn't feel like we have health freedom and health sovereignty. And to me, you don't have your health and you don't have your freedom. It's like you have nothing, right? So that that just really bothers me on a, on a deep moral level. And um, man, the politicalization, the capitalistic nature of it. Oh God. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but that's why I think the psychedelic movement is, is so interesting because even, you know, with what big pharma is trying to do with that so they can have their, you know, fat fingers in that pie. Um, but the thing, even still, it's like, well, gosh, sometimes all it takes is one big dose of psilocybin to change somebody's life forever. Like they might not even need more than one dose. So that's not really a great moneymaker, right? Like you take mm. one dose and you know, like you're, quote unquote, clinically cured of your PTSD or whatever, and you go live a happy, healthy life, like, all right, well, that's not good for recurring business. So um, that's, that's what brings me hope is like, I, I think the psychedelic movement, it's just like, if anything is going to save humanity, I don't know, it, it might be that uh, there's just nothing else like it. It seems like a really powerful tool. Uh -huh. It's here to stay. And it, it's just, it's just starting. So I'm super excited we'll to learn see. more about that. So Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I think you'll love that module. I'm going to love building cool. it. You know, it's like all I want to work on, honestly. I might like, like growing my own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Who knows? So, uh, as soon as I'm <laughs> not going to get like thrown in jail, like I'll be all over that. Oh, my God. You know, this is not medical advice here. Never, never. And then, uh, yeah, I always have spitballing. It's yeah. all rhetorical. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> So, and then before we leave, so where can people find you? And if there's any practitioner listening that like, okay, love that content. I would love to grow my knowledge to be more critical in my practice and, and working with clients. Where can they go to know more about FMHP? And yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not hard to find. Uh, Instagram is my main platform. So like, you know, anything that I have to offer the world can can be, you know, linked through Instagram. Because that link tree that I have on my Instagram profile, like everything that I have to, to offer is is found through my okay. link tree. But as far as like learning more about FMHP, they should hit you up and talk to you. You're in our, our class one program. You've been mentoring, been a star pupil, mentee. You know, you're you're working uh, on on my team these days and and growing into that role. I mean, dude, I like I, I see you and I've seen you for years now. Like you have a, a huge heart, a brilliant mind. Uh, you know, you're going to do a lot of really good things. So it's really just an honor to be able to be a part of your world, to be able to lift you up because you're going to do great things. But anybody that wants to learn more about FMHP, they should hit you up and talk to you. Awesome. Perfect. No, I, and I'm going to put all the, and thank you for that. Like a like, huge thank you. Like, I mean, it's, uh, oh, yeah, dude. you know, I see myself it's through you a lot and then it's just, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing to that. We, that, you know, in this online space, because truly my life has been completely online for the past like year mm-hmm. and then, yeah. um, for good reasons, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's just, uh, it's been a blessing to have, that community that I've been able to build and gather along the uh, along the months and the year now, um, so yeah, it's a true blessing and and always forever grateful for all the work you do. But I'll put all the information uh, in the show notes, and that will awesome. be it. And then we're gonna have our next episode for sure on psilocybin oh, or psychedelics per se, and that would be super interesting. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Regen Biome Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or seeking private one-on-one health coaching, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, regenbiome.com or on Instagram at Gene Felix Turcott underscore JFT. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.